0: Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Titus, chapter 3. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1201, Titus chapter 3, and we're doing just... Uh, a little mini-series for December and just taking some time, obviously, to go through some Christmas teaching as we come up to Christmas. We've called the little series, He Is Here. And we, of course, know Jesus has come. We know that He is here. And we are just looking each week at a different aspect of who He is. Who is the He that we are celebrating? And even though uh, if you've grown up in church or if you've been around church for a while, you know the story really well, we are just praying for some freshness and some newness this year as we look at the different aspects of who Jesus is and what was actually happening as he came to earth in that time. So I'm going to show you a short clip as we get going from a movie called The Star. I'm sure if you have young kids you probably saw it. Uh, it was in the theaters last year. It's out on video now and The Star is the nativity story and it's told primarily through the eyes of the animals of the story. Uh, so it's not directly taken from the scripture exactly but uh, it's through the, st- the eyes of the animals especially the donkey and the donkey uh, is the the donkey in the story who carried Mary to Bethlehem. And so uh, because it's Hollywood and because we don't have a ton of the Christmas story in scripture, there's really just a few chapters, there is some embellishment and they have fleshed out the story and rearranged some things and added some things. And so we're not looking for razor sharp uh, scriptural accuracy in this. Plus animals don't actually talk. So there's that as well. But uh, it's a pretty good movie and the kids really liked it a lot. Lots of celebrity voices and, and different things. But Uh, In this version of the story, uh, King Herod is trying to stop the baby from from being born. Herod is trying to stop that from happening. So they've rearranged the timeline a little bit. But as Mary and Joseph are heading for Bethlehem to fulfill the word of the Lord, uh, Herod is trying to stop this from happening. And so it's all seen through the eyes of the animal. So there's a guard trying to track down Mary and Joseph. And he has two vicious guard dogs who are also trying to track the baby down. And as we come to the end of the story... uh, Jesus is born, and these dogs who have been vicious and cruel and mean all the way through the movie uh, are about to encounter Jesus, and this is the clip of that happening. Take a look. So worth a look if you haven't seen the movie, and when we saw that in the theater, uh, my wife doesn't cry It. At- much, let alone movies. But even Sarah in that scene was getting choked up and saying, see, everybody's invited to the manger, and we're changed as we do it. So there's lots of good stuff in there. And, uh, and again, we're not looking for razor-sharp theological accuracy from a Hollywood movie, but, uh, but there's something in that scene about just ones who were bad dogs, who are now uh, transformed, who are now changed through this because they've had an encounter with Jesus. And we are celebrating in this. It's the understanding statement to say that Jesus changes everything, but it's good to remind ourselves of that, that as Jesus comes into the world, he changes everything. So let's take a look at our text today. We're in Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 3. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone." So that's maybe not a classic Christmas passage, but there's a lot of good Christmas stuff in there. And uh, in the book of Titus, we don't uh, have a ton of information about Titus. There are uh, a group of books in the New Testament that we call the pastoral letters. That's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And these are letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and to Titus, who were pastors. And so Paul is overseeing. Uh, Churches at large and is serving as kind of a spiritual authority over churches Timothy is pastoring at a church in Ephesus Titus is pastoring at a church in Crete And so Paul is writing letters to encourage these pastors And so these letters are called the pastoral letters And they're full of practical stuff about how to run a church And how to deal with conflict and how to structure things And then there's this theological side of it as well uh, As Paul is encouraging them in their theology And so uh, this letter comes to Titus and we don't know tons about Titus other than he was one of the Apostle Paul's close companions. Uh, He shows up regularly throughout the New Testament. He seems to have traveled a lot with Paul. There were times where, uh, for example, Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians. Titus was the one who took the letter there and shared the teaching with them and then brought back a response to Paul. So he was kind of a scribe. He was a messenger. He was a companion. And then eventually he became a pastor, and he pastored at the church in Crete. And so the Apostle Paul in the book of Titus is encouraging the man of God uh, in his ministry in his theology and in how he is running the church and so we're just gonna walk through these verses and uh, just listen for what the Lord would say to us today as we go through that so the section starts verse 3 at one time we too were foolish disobedient deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures we lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another Uh, anything we do when we talk about Christmas anything we do when we talk about Jesus It has to start with the fact that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have to start with our sin. We have to start acknowledging that. And Paul starts off the passage by acknowledging that. And so you can look at the words up there and say, hey, where am I on there? Foolish, disobedient, uh, enslaved by passions and pleasures, malice, envy. And that's by no means an exhaustive list, but it is talking about what we would just generally and very simply call sin. The ways in which we have broken God's commandments, the ways in which we have fallen short of what he's required of us, the ways in which we have dishonored him, the ways in which we have wounded and neglected and dishonored our neighbor. Uh, All falls under this big banner of sin, and it is the default condition of every human who's ever been born. And so we talked a little bit last week about this goes back to Eden. Adam and Eve, as soon as humanity shows up in the world, Satan is right there lying and deceiving, and sin shows up right away. Right away, the disobedience starts. God says, there are boundaries I have put in place, and they're actually for your good. There is something in human nature that says, I don't want any boundaries. I'm going to do what I want. I don't need God. I can do my own thing and make this work. And as it turns out, if you've noticed the state of the world, that that's actually not true. We actually can't do it on our own. We can't make it work by ourselves. And so we have all gone astray, Scripture says. Each of us has turned to our own way. We have all crossed God's boundaries. We have all fallen into sin. We have all hurt other people. We have all dishonored the Lord. We start there. And so when that happens to Adam and Eve in the garden, God says, all right, we have a problem now that this sin has entered the world. Because now mankind is going to go their own way, we have chosen our own way, we have rejected God, we have said we don't need Him. And now that that exists in the world, God says, I can't let that live forever. Man was created to live eternally, but I can't let sin live eternally. So God says man is going to be mortal now. So where sin entered the picture, death enters the picture as well. And now humanity has two humongous problems, sin and death. And as it turns out, I can't overcome my own sin. And I can't stop my own death. There are two problems that are so big and huge that I can do absolutely nothing on my own to make these things any better. And so we have to start, even as we talk about the cute little baby born in the manger, we have to start even before that and say, it's all happening because of our sin. And because of our sin, death. It's all happening because of that. We need to start there because we can't acknowledge that we need a Savior if we don't acknowledge we need saving. If we don't acknowledge that we can't beat sin on our own, we can do nothing to stop death coming towards us. We need salvation, and so God has sent to us a Savior, and that's where it starts to turn into really, really, really good news. And so I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anyone, but we are just facing the facts. We are wanting to face reality. There's a little Christmas poem uh, that I used to read sometimes on Christmas Eve, and it said—I'm going to butcher it horribly and paraphrase it terribly— but the gist of it was, uh, if what we needed most was a leader, then God would have sent someone to set up a a human government and just— lead us really, really well. If what we needed most was education, then God would have sent a teacher, and that would have been the gist of their ministry. If what we needed most was financial security, God would have sent us an economist who would come and show us the right way to do everything so we could live in prosperity. But what we needed most was saving. And so God sent us a Savior in his Son. So we start there just being honest and, and authentic, acknowledging that we need saving. And so God has sent us a Savior, and that's where it starts to flip to the really good news. We were sinners, but, verse 4, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. First of all, how beautiful is that sentence? When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. Not when God had had enough of our sin and was full of anger and wrath. Uh, It's not even emphasizing the holiness and purity of God, which was offended by our sinfulness, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. And what a beautiful picture of Christmas. And different branches of the church emphasize different things, and there are some streams of the church uh, that would just emphasize the love and the grace of God, and they would ignore sin, and ignore the wrath of God, and ignore the holiness and the purity of God. And there are some branches of the church that really emphasize you know, anger and wrath and holiness, and they ignore grace and love. And the point is not to say, well, I'm one or the other, but it is both and together. And so as we mo- as we move into maturity as Christians, we have to learn how to hold all of these aspects of God in tension together. He does feel the emotion of anger. That is, is a real thing. He is also full of kindness and love. He is holy and pure, but he is also gracious and merciful. And he is all of these things at the same time. And so part of learning more about the Lord and learning more in our Christian journey is saying, yeah, so how do I? I can usually only do one emotion at a time. Uh, It's hard to imagine how God can be all of these things at once, but that is what the Word of God says that He is. And so we're trying to say, okay, so we're not going to overemphasize one side or the other. But that being said, Paul in this moment is emphasizing when Jesus came, when God our Savior became flesh and lived among us, that was the kindness and love of God. Showing up here on earth and those are relational words. This is not a God saying well, it's all about me as some streams of the church would uh, Emphasize the sovereignty and the glory of God There is that there but kindness and love are relational words. This is a God who loves us This is a God who had kindness who had pity on us in our state who understood and said uh, These people need saving and i'm going to come and save them I will come and do that for them. And so as Jesus is born, we sing it in the songs and we acknowledge it uh, in the scripture, in the story, and in our thinking, Christ the Savior has come. The salvation that we have needed has come. And, and John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he sent his son to lay down his life for us, that, that out of the love of God, out of the mercy of God, out of the compassion of God, the Savior has come. And this was in the, uh, the video that we just watched, uh, the, the Christmas Hallelujah song. It was in a couple of the songs that we sang this morning, this theme. Uh, it has been said that the shadow of the cross looms over the manger. The shadow of the cross looms over the manger. That this baby is born, but it's all pointing to a salvation that is coming at great cost. Uh, And this baby is being born, obviously, with a very specific purpose and and the heart to, to save us and the drive and the desire to do that. But the only reason Christmas is special is because Easter exists. The only reason that Christmas is so profound for us is not just that the Lord came among us, but the Lord came among us and it is leading to our salvation that he is going to work out entirely on his own and for our sake. That he looked at us and had mercy on the helplessness that we were stuck in, where we cannot deal with our own sin by ourselves, and we cannot solve our own deaths by ourselves. So God, our Savior, in kindness and love, showed up and said, I will do that for you. We needed a Savior, and in Jesus, a Savior has come. Verse 5, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done. My goodness, that's good. But because of his mercy and there's a few times in the New Testament where there's just a really good gospel in kind of one verse kind of thing John three sixteen is the classic example. Here's another one. He saved us not because of righteous things we've done But because of his mercy it goes against everything natural inside of us And honestly it goes against what normally works for us in our lives If I work really hard in my career, maybe I'll get a promotion. If I work really hard on my marriage, I'll have a good marriage. If I work really hard on the skill, I'll get better at the skill. And this flips it all upside down and says, actually, it's not about your efforts at all. There's nothing about it that you can add to what Jesus has done. There's nothing about the cross and resurrection where you can say, that was amazing and God did that himself, but I'm going to bring my thing that's really going to seal the deal with me and God. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. It all comes from his mercy. It comes to us purely as gift. It comes to us not as something we work for. It comes to us as something we receive. And something where we say, okay, I I understand. I am not earning my way to heaven. As most other faiths and philosophies of the world would say, I can't earn my way there by doing enough good things that I finally win myself into God's favor. Even if I did, you know, perfect things every day and tried to win God's favor that way, I still can't solve the problem that I have sinned. I still can't do that. My good works don't cancel out my sin." And because there is sin, there is death. At the end of that, Jesus has come to save us from both of those things. And because He is the Savior, I don't need to worry about saving myself. I don't need to worry about my standing with God. I don't need to always wonder where I'm at with Him. He has saved me, it's done. Now my job is to live out of that salvation, which we'll come back to as we go through this. And when Jesus shows up, as the Christmas story unfolds at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel and at at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, this salvation theme is there all the way through. In Matthew chapter 1, an angel shows up to Joseph. Uh, Joseph has found out that Mary is pregnant. He knows very well that it's not his, and so he's getting ready to divorce her. And an angel comes and says, no, there's God. God is working something out here. Uh, Matthew 1 the angel says she'll give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins And that is what the name Jesus means the word Jesus literally means the Lord saves And so the angel shows up and says Joseph There's a baby coming and you're going to name him the Lord saves because the Lord is saving people through this baby the Lord is working out His salvation through this person, and in the Bible, uh, the Bible pays a lot of attention—a lot of attention to names. Uh, and the meaning of names and often more in the the old testament but a little in the new testament as well a person's name ends up being a big part of their destiny a big part of their character it really says something and when a baby is born at meadowbrook actually we will uh, one of the pastors will go and meet the baby and bless the baby and just pray for the baby on behalf of the church and we bring a little gift uh, and it's a little uh, picture frame and we take the baby's name and we look into the meaning what is the meaning of the name uh, because that is a biblical idea that the meaning of your name really does end up saying something about your destiny about your character And then we pray into that and so not that the parent that all parents necessarily put a lot of weight in name meaning But uh, but the Bible does and so we just kind of pay attention to that and so when Jesus is born uh, That name is given to him. We're gonna call him the Lord saves every time you say the name Jesus You are saying the Lord saves every time you sing your worship to Jesus and you say the name Jesus you are acknowledging that the lord saves you are declaring that just by declaring his name and as we declare that we just remind ourselves over and over and over again i don't save myself i needed saving and jesus has come god our savior in kindness and love has come to save me and so there is power in the name of jesus we are declaring the salvation of the lord every time we say his name we have been saved when the angels show up to the shepherds in Luke's gospel, Luke two ten to 11, the angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So even before Jesus is born, the angels of heaven are saying he's going to be saving. And then when Jesus is born and the angels show up to the shepherds, they are making clear that he's going to be saving. A Savior has shown up. And as the Savior shows up, uh, he shows up in the kindness and love of God to save us from our sin and to save us from our death. There's a picture uh, that often gets used, and uh, Billy Graham, uh, the Billy Graham Association is credited with coming up with it, that we were separated from God because of our sin. We were cut off from life. We were cut off from eternity with Him. We were cut off from His presence. We were separated because of what we did uh, when we rejected Him, when we said, I'm going my own way, when we chose sin instead of Him. And so there was this chasm between us, and we couldn't cross it on our own. But as Jesus came and died and rose from the dead for us, there's a bridge now. We are now reconciled to God. We are brought from sin into holiness. We are brought from death into life. We couldn't build that bridge by ourselves, but Jesus has built that for us. Our job is to say, Lord, I need that, and I receive that. That's what we bring to the table. We bring, yes, please. That's our job. And so most of us in the room have probably done this before. If you haven't done this before, uh, that is really the heart of the gospel. It is not that you make yourself right with God. It's that you say, I can't make myself right with God. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need your gift of salvation. I'm going to receive that as the gift that it is. That is the gospel. And as we do that, we are welcome back to the family. As we do that, like those dogs, we are welcomed in to, to the experience of Jesus, into his presence. Verse 5, second part of verse 5 and verse 6. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Rebirth shows up in John chapter 3. There is that phrase, uh, born again Christian, that you have heard. It comes from John chapter 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. Uh, they have a sort of theological debate about what that means. But the heart of it is this, is that as we encounter Jesus, as we choose to follow him, uh, a change happens in us by, by necessity. Uh, and it's, we are realigning our lives, not just I'm doing my own thing, not just I'm living my own way. I'm realigning my life to follow after you. And even Christians don't do that perfectly. But that is the shift that happens in our life. And it is such a profound shift that Jesus says it's like being born again. You were born focusing on you, and now you are going to live focusing on Jesus, and it's such a shift in priority that it's like being born again. And we are renewed by the Holy Spirit. How good is this, whom he poured out on us generously. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He is here to help us leave our sin behind. He's here to help us hear from God. He's here to help us know who Jesus is. He's here to reveal the word to us, to show us God. The Holy Spirit is our helper. And he has been generously poured out. In John's Gospel, Jesus says, The Father gives the Spirit without limit. So if there are limits of the Spirit moving in my life, then they must be there by me, because they're not there from God. God has offered the Holy Spirit generously to us. And the prayer is a very simple prayer. Holy Spirit, I need you. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Holy Spirit, lead me on. Holy Spirit, let me have everything that you have. Become generously into my life. Renew my mind. Refresh and restore my heart. Lead me in the way of Jesus. Show me who God is. We can't do it without him. And the good news is, as we can't do it without him, God has given us all the Holy Spirit that we need. He is available to us. He has generously come to us. And so we ask for the Holy Spirit's help all the time. And we understand that this is not something that instantly happens. Even if we say yes to Jesus, we feel a change. Uh, It's not like we're literally perfect right away right and we talk about uh, our sin as something that we continue to struggle with we are not instantly delivered from every single thing but uh, when we use the term often we'll say well we're a work in progress we're a work of grace Uh, and we are of course just very practically uh, I said yes to Jesus many years ago I am not perfect by any means I still continue to struggle with sin and that is that is just the reality we are works in progress But the Bible, interestingly, talks about salvation in three different tenses, uh, and it talks about them all at the same time. The Bible says you have been saved, past tense, you are being saved, present tense, and you will be saved, future tense. It talks about salvation in all three ways. And so, we were saved the day we said yes to Jesus. Whatever that looked like for you, for some people, there's a precise moment where they said yes, and and they say, I felt born again. I felt transformed. I felt my sins washed away. That was my personal experience. For some people, it's, you know what? I was really young, and I don't really remember not knowing Jesus, and I've just kind of grown up in it, and that's okay too. For some people, it's a process of learning about Jesus. My wife would say, uh, as a young woman, she started going to church, and she started reading her Bible, and she can't pinpoint a clear crystal-clear moment where she said yes to Jesus but over time she got to know him she began to trust him she began to follow him so it doesn't really matter how it happens but there is a point in all of our lives where we realigned our life to Jesus and on that day our eternity was set we were filled with the spirit we were sealed scripture says for him for heaven so we're good you're saved that's not something you have to negotiate or wrestle with that's done the day you say yes to Jesus but we are also being saved. And this is the work in progress part. Not that our eternity is in doubt or that our salvation is in doubt, but we are in process of being saved out of our pasts, out of our hurts, out of our issues. That's the, what we sometimes call sanctification. That is the process of being renewed, being reborn, uh, and that is a lifelong process. We are, are step by step, day by day, uh, walking into the salvation more and more. and and enjoying it in in the practical sense, in the day-to-day sense, in its fullness. And then you will be saved in every way, literally one day, either when Jesus returns or when we go to him. The salvation will reach its fullness. We will be saved body, soul, and spirit entirely. We will be fully renewed in every way, uh, and that is coming in the future. So... Uh, So, again, there's maybe a bit of tension between these three different ways of seeing it, but they are all true at the same time. We were saved the day we said yes to Jesus. We are being saved day by day as we become more like Jesus, and we will be saved in its fullness in one day. And while we are in that middle one, the being saved process— uh, that's the part that maybe isn't the funnest part because we are called to self-denial. We're called to, to crucify our flesh. We're called to uh, give up things and take up our cross and follow after Jesus. But while that happens, the Holy Spirit has been generously poured out on us to give us everything we need in order to do that. You have everything you need on you right now to live out this Christian faith. And of course, there's more to learn and more to grow in, but uh, Peter says he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You have it already, and it's not that there's more, but whatever you need, you've got right now because the Spirit has come generously on us, poured out on us by Jesus. And because of that, our mentality needs to shift. And this has been something God's been teaching me in the last uh, six months or so, we, did, uh, we have a daily podcast where we walk through books of the Bible, just a few verses a day. So we're just finishing up a book, the book of Romans. We're going to wrap that up this week on the daily podcast. And as I'm reading through Romans, Romans is one of the richest books of the New Testament. There's just so much depth. It's, it's challenging. It's beautiful. It's confusing sometimes. It's encouraging. It's all of these things. And as you go through the book of Romans, uh, Paul talks a lot about our sin, and he talks a lot about our gospel, and he talks a lot about, uh, you know, who we are and who we naturally are and who we become, and and there's a lot of conviction and a lot of, ooh, like punches in the gut as you read it. And then there's lots of hope and excitement and incredible things in there as well. But one of the things I noticed going verse by verse through uh, Romans is, is Paul hits us hard on our sin. Right? We have offended God. We are worthy of hell. Like the first six books of Romans, he hits us hard on our sin, on our idolatry, on our selfishness. Uh, it's, it's rough. Like, it's a rough read. And on the podcast, I kept throwing in there, it's going to get better, guys. Stay with me. <laughs> like it's, this is, I know it's heavy stuff. And, you know, so up to Romans 6 or so, uh, he hits us hard on our sin. Romans 7, Paul says, I don't know why I do what I do. I don't know why I keep sinning. I don't know why I keep struggling with this. I know better, he says. I know the good I should be doing. I can't bring myself to do it. I know the bad things that I should be avoiding, and I keep stumbling back into that stuff. And you read Romans 7, and you go, that's me, right? Like, that is my story. I know what I should be doing, and I can't quite get there. And I know what I should be avoiding, and I keep falling back into that. And Romans 7 is just such—I mean, it's, it's rough, but it's encouraging at the same time. Because you go, okay, Paul gets what I'm going through. And then Romans 7 breaks out into Romans 8, which is, but there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8's like the most encouraging chapter in all of Scripture, right? In all things God is working for our good. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then this shift happens where Paul doesn't call himself a sinner anymore. And any time he talks about sin, he seems to be talking about it in terms of his identity as a sinner in the past tense. And he says that is what we were. Even this passage we read today, what was the first verse? Some of you were. We were disobedient. We were foolish. We were enslaved to passions and sins. Now, some of us are saying, I'm still all those things, and I am with you 100%. And so we're not not ignoring the fact that we do continue to struggle and stumble our way through the sins that we have. But it seems really important to Paul that our identity shifts away from I am a sinner to I am a saint, which the Bible calls us 50, 60 times in the New Testament. The word saint means holy one. And that is who God says we are. You are a holy one who still sins, but you are not a sinner by your identity. You were that, but you have been saved out of that. And now we live out of that salvation to become more and more holy, more and more pure, more and more like Jesus as we live this out. And that might sound like a splitting of hairs, but I think the way we talk about ourselves is so important. And I think especially we need to be, of course, listening to what does God say we are? And what God says is you were sinners, enslaved to sin. You are now holy ones. And so live more and more towards the holy ones. I sat down with someone this uh, summer, and we were talking about— this person was a counselor. We were talking about different things, and he he said a phrase that stuck with me, which was, whatever you aim at, you tend to hit. So the way you talk about yourself is important. I'm like, right. If all I'm doing is talking about I'm a, sinner, I'm a 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 sinner, there's no hope in that. There's no encouragement in that. I'm just focusing on what's wrong with me. If my emphasis, which is the New Testament's emphasis, is I'm a holy one, I'm a holy one, I'm a holy one. I don't feel holy a lot of the time. I'm not holy, legitimately, a lot of the time. But if that's what I'm aiming for, that's the direction my life is gonna go. And so we don't, we don't pretend that we have left, literally, all sin behind. But in terms of our identity, we say, I'm not going to emphasize my sin. I'm going to emphasize the holiness because I've been saved out of that. Jesus has saved me, and he can't do any more. He's already died and risen from the dead and poured out his spirit generously, right? So there's nothing more that he can do to pull me out of my sinfulness. My job now is to live out of that and to live towards that. And there was a line, there was a part in the video clip that we showed from the star uh, that—, that You know, It's not, again, going into super accurate theology, uh, but the dogs talk at the end. Are we good dogs now? It's a good line. Are we good dogs now? The other dog says we have to try. So if we're shooting for gospel accuracy, we would just say, no, you don't have to try. It's already been done for you, right? You're good dogs. You are good dogs. You're a good boy. Who's a good boy? You're a good dog not because you've literally never done anything bad or won't do anything bad again. You're a good dog because he's made you good. And he's called you good. He has saved you, right? And for some reason, this Hollywood movie did not want to go into super-accurate Pauline salvation theology. And so that's the one part where I go, no, it's not— you don't have to try to to be right. You don't have to try to earn it, right? And again, it's—obviously, I'm joking around. But, but, you know, are we good dogs now? Yeah, you are, because he's made you good. You don't have to try to be—he's called you that. He has called us holy ones. And so when he calls us that, that is what we are, right? We don't add to it. When he's called us that, when he has said, you are saints, then guess what? We are saints. That is who we are. And so the trying comes later, which we'll come to. We're just about done here. Verse 7, all of this happens so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. It is all pointing to more than this. We were always created to be eternal beings. We were meant to live forever with God. When sin entered the world, we lost that. Death had to enter the world because God can't let sin live eternally. But in Jesus, that's all being reversed again. We are being restored to what he has always created us to be. Eternity is our home. We are temporarily here on this earth. We are sojourners here in this land. We are on a pilgrimage towards heaven. Heaven is where we were created for, and heaven is our true home. This is a trustworthy saying, verse 8. I like it when Paul says that. Just, just take seriously what I just said. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things, pastor, when you're talking to your church. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And so that's the part, as we come back to those dogs, that you say, okay, that part is right. We don't have to try to become something in our standing with God. But out of that salvation, we now, as Paul just said, devote ourselves to what is good. It's not that we do the good things to point to our salvation. We have been saved, and now that we have been saved, We live out of that salvation, out of a grateful life, out of a worshipful heart, out of an understanding of what our sin is, out of an understanding that we have been set free from our sin. We have been forgiven, and we are to live out of that now rather than letting sin dominate our lives and be a part of that in that major way. Helping each other, serving one another, honoring the Lord. This is always what we were supposed to be doing. The shift that happens is we don't do it as Christians in order to win right standing with God we do it having already been saved and out of that grateful heart devoted to doing what is good because we have been saved now that we've been saved we live out of the goodness of that and we devote ourselves to that come on up worship team we're just about done if you have any questions on the message today we have an email address questions at meadowbrook.ca and we'd love to keep the conversation going we'd love to keep sharing about this and uh, yeah so if you have any questions you can shoot them there In Jesus at Christmas time the kindness and love of God our Savior has appeared here on earth the kindness and love of God has arrived in that little baby in the manger and we'll get into this a bit more in the weeks to come as Jesus is born uh, the response of heaven is to worship right the angels start singing right away the response of shepherds and wise men is to worship Uh, Worship is the response when the Savior shows up. And so we don't worship for what we get out of it. We don't worship because we, you know, like a song. We don't worship because we're in a good mood today. We worship because he's worthy of our worship. We worship always because he's worthy of our worship. And whether I'm in a great place today or whether I love this song or that song or, or whether I'd rather be doing something else right now, we worship him because he's worthy of our worship. The Savior of the world has come out of kindness and love to you. And the proper response is thanksgiving and worship. The proper response is to say, okay, Lord, what's next for me to work on then in my life? I've been saved from my sin. I see sin still in my life. So how do I live more out of the holiness of God? How do I move more in the way that you want me to move? And there may be a thousand things I need to work on in my life. The only question I need to ask is, Lord, what do you want to work on in me right now? What's on your list for me to work on right now? I can walk in greater purity, living out of this salvation, responding in worship as we honor the Lord and Savior who has come to us at Christmas time in his kindness and his love. We're going to worship him for a few minutes before we go. I'll ask you to stand to your feet with me, please. The words will be up on the screen.